Welcome back, everybody, to the Self Storage Income Podcast. We have another incredible episode lined up for you today. But before we get into that, huge shout out to all of our amazing sponsors Janice International, Store Local, Live Oak Bank, and Tenant Inc. Be sure to check out the links in the show notes. You guys probably hear us talking about these guys on the podcast all the time. Janice International, tons of amazing people, tons of amazing products, services, their Noki service, their R3 program, all these different aspects to help you build an amazing storage facility or upgrade your storage facility. Uh, just a fantastic group. Store local. It's honestly one of the biggest threats to self-storage is, is market consolidation and everything that goes along with that. So enter Store Local, the largest storage co-op in the world. Just amazing people again, tons of tons of awesome people there and uh, amazing solutions to bring everybody's resources together and uh, utilize those in an effective way to be able to compete and also uh, thrive in a world of competition with some of these larger REITs and the big players in the self-storage industry. Check out Store Local. Amazing, amazing opportunities there. Live Oak Bank. I don't know how many of you guys came to our live event in Coeur d'Alene just this past year, but uh, we had some amazing conversations with Live Oak Bank there, and they were probably one of the most popular uh, <laughs> topics there in our, our breakout sessions. And And people want to know. They, they want to know the financing. You guys want to know what the solutions are, what the deals look like, all these different aspects to financing. Live Oak Bank is that answer specifically for self-storage. They specialize in storage, which is just incredible. There's no learning curve for them to understand the asset. They know it. They've been there before, and they can help you see things that you might not even be seeing yourself. So Live Oak Bank, amazing. Check the link in the show notes. And last but not least, Tenant Inc., Tenant Inc. is an incredible slew of products and services, essentially, for your storage facility to help automate, to help streamline, to help optimize your business and your storage facility. They've got uh, their Hummingbird platform, Nectar platform, uh, their Mariposa platform. Just to scrape the surface here, their, their property software, the big thing about this is the API is open. So you guys can actually, you, you own your data, you can use other third parties and back that into your systems. It's not this closed system that, that only uses proprietary X, Y, and Z. You guys have total control over your data, total control over these various aspects of running your business, uh, running your storage facility. And uh, they just got some amazing products. Again, these are storage owner operators that have created and developed these solutions. And uh, it, it's just an amazing platform. So check it out. Without further ado, guys, here's the episode. Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third tier markets to large hundred plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. Welcome back, everybody, to the Self-Storage Income Podcast. You've got Connor and AJ hanging out with you guys today, as usual. Uh, no guests today, but uh, AJ, dude, we've got a phenomenal episode lined up for everybody today um, that you actually kind of recorded for the other podcast. <laughs> I do this sometimes. Uh, but it was so good. You're just like, dude, we got to publish it on both. Um, so we, we love to do that because some of that information is so good, so applicable to everything 
self-storage investing that, that can be applied and understood. Um, what do you, you want to tell everybody a yeah, little bit about that? Yeah, you know, really, it was one of those episodes that I really want to talk a lot about the fundamentals, cash flow, what we're seeing when you syndicate deals, how you look at equity and storage and the cash flow, the mistakes people make, the things that we're seeing today. And then two, I, I really got into the advantages of today versus when we started. So there's disadvantages and advantages of starting in self-storage today than there was when I I got started and I talk a lot about um, those advantages and how to um, take action on them and like what 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 it is and how you can utilize these advantages of today uh, and also though not make a lot of the mistakes that I'm seeing made today and you know I, I talk and I tell a story about a company that's in trouble and I talk about other things that have happened and we're seeing a lot of these things start to shake out today and what those are, how to avoid them, and also how to take advantage when you're out looking for deals, you're trying to put deals together, and the kind of the things that self-storage has to offer that are different from when I got started in self-storage a long time ago. Awesome, dude. I excited to jump into it. Again, tons of applicable stuff. And you're always going to have these these hurdles and these challenges to overcome. No matter what point in time, everybody always has this idea yes. that there's going to be this perfect time. No. You know, there's, Doesn't there's exist. always going to be hurdles. So phenomenal episode. You guys get your uh, notebooks out, get ready to dive into it and uh, enjoy. What's going on, everybody? I have a lot to cover today. So th today, you know, we've been going through a lot with a bunch of our different companies. And there's a company that we will most likely be uh, acquiring. Um, it's a company that kind of got into some trouble. So I'm going to talk about a few things today, um, but there's going to be a center um, idea on understanding cash flows and how even big companies get this wrong. Now, it's, you know, and two, we were going to talk a lot about angel investing and teaming up and, and working with other people. So, um, you know, I really want to focus here on cash flow is king. Uh, we need to look at cash flow is the lifeblood of any business. When we got started, um, we made massive sacrifices uh, due to cash flow. Um, we took, we didn't take any debt out for operational um, purposes. And we only had debt on the property level, which our properties were held in individual LLCs that was held by a holdings company, which had a management company that ran all the properties and everything. Those, those expenses had to be paid by the cash flows of the properties. This led us to a very interesting position that I think a lot of people, um, can escape or avoid. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that today. And you may have seen, if you haven't seen it, I, I built out a thread on Twitter that was talking about this. Um, but when we get down to it, the start of the company, um, me, my father were working in insurance and insurance sales. We were buying up properties. We were taking nothing out of them at all no cash flow because at the time there wasn't third-party management options 
Okay. So that didn't really exist for self-storage and it definitely didn't exist in any of the areas we were. So we identified the asset. We wanted to get into it, but we also knew that we would have to do the third party management, which didn't scare us because the properties we were taking over were just so poor on the management side. There were basically no management. So the understanding and working with businesses that we had from our insurance, our sales, our consulting, um, as well as other businesses, we knew that we could do a much, much better job anyways. But what that meant was all the cash flow from these assets that we were buying had to go to pay for overhead because we hadn't hit volume, right? And we didn't have lots of facilities. Um, so that meant that the management company was taking up all the money, right? So when you're doing property management, volume's the key. And also property management, by the way, is a really tough business, uh, really tough business. It's a, 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 a business of pennies. So starting out, it literally took everything. So we worked full time. We sold our insurance company. We put that money into our, our not insurance company, the brokerage sales company. We put that money into it and we kept working full time to try to get to a level that we could hit maximum where we could pay for the bills on the property management side. We could also make money and we could keep buying deals and assets. Now, this is over 15 years. Okay. This is a long time, um, a really long time. And this was both me and my father and my other partner. And for, I don't know how many years, me and my father worked for free building the company, put all the money back into it, never took any money out of it. We were never paid. We were never nothing. Right. Um, and that was hard. That was really hard, but we were in a position to where we didn't have a choice. Well, what this ended up resulting in is the criteria for assets that we looked at was obnoxiously high, meaning we had to get properties that had tremendous revenue upside and had large margins because that cash flow had to pay for everything. So what it did is by necessity, it forced us into a position where we understood and got better and better at identifying the biggest upside in properties. And we put all our emphasis to finding the best deals. And then we focused all on yield, meaning every dollar we put back into operations was spent with this idea that we had to increase the base yield that we already had. So what eventually happened is we poured millions of dollars into other companies like tech companies, like co-ops, like all of these different companies that needed to support and we needed to have within our ecosystem to get super high yield out of our properties because that's the only way we were going to pay the bills and because of that we have astronomical performance um and i've shared with that um some of the uh, in some of the places including my social media i think also on twitter um but i didn't really know or understand that those returns weren't normal because we didn't really look at it like that. For us, it was a business. We had to make money. We needed a margin. We had to increase revenue. That's it. I didn't look at it as a return as comparison to the REITs, stock markers, stock markets, other syndicators. No, I didn't do any of that. It, it, that's not what it was about. And 
we didn't have investors money. That meant we weren't even paid for what we did. The only thing we made was off margin, off cash flow, nothing else, zero. We didn't get fees. We didn't get anything built in. And then as I learned and as we grew um, and I learned about other syndicators and um, it made me a little jaded to the industry, to be totally honest, because what I found was most syndicators uh, as well as most um, asset managers, the product was the investor, not the people or not the asset itself. And most investors were trained that way. They were, well, let's look at the splits or the fees or one other line item. And they don't even care about the property. They don't care what the yield is. They don't care anything else. All they're doing is comparing um, syndicators or asset managers together um, because they've been trained to be the asset and to forget about the asset itself. Um, and that's a, for me, I think that's an incredibly bad problem for the direct investing world. If you are a um, if you are an investor into direct assets and you care more about a 1% spread than you do on the performance of the asset and the operator, um, you're making bad choices. I don't, I don't know what else to tell you. Not all asset managers and not all assets are created equal. Uh, and people forget to look at the roots. They forget to look at what actually drives performance. They forget to look at all these things. And particularly, they forget about cash flow. They forget about what it takes to run these properties. They forget about um, the ability to increase cash flow. They think of it like a stock or a bond, right? Where I just kind of buy it. It's based upon this paper that I'm getting in front of me. And that's going to dictate where I make my buying decisions. And they don't really understand at all on the underlying assets that they're buying. Um, this was weird to me and it still is today and it's still hard. And you start seeing games that people play in these industries. For example, a lot of people basically give a guaranteed preferred return, which what they mean is they said, you're gonna get your per, uh, preferred return every year starting out year one. So what they do, and this is standard, which I learned about just a year ago and it blew my mind when I heard this because all the operators were like, yeah, that's how you do it, AJ. They fund the money up front and then they dole out the preferred return, even if the cash flow of the property is not paying for it, but the money that they've acquired from investors. What that's saying is they the money that they acquired from investors to invest, they build in enough and they ask enough from investors so they can pay out that 8% preferred return until the property meets it to a level to where it can pay for it or they sell the property to get that internal rate of return. Most properties and most syndicators only get the return upon selling on the property. Um, to say my brain erupted when I heard this was not even close to reasonable. I was like, first of all, this is legal. Um, and even if it's legal, uh, I, you know, I don't want to get it, it, any syndicators or operators that are listening to it. I get it. You're playing the game, everything. It just shocked me. Um, and I found out there was a lot of games like this where for me, I thought if I'm giving my money to an operator, if I'm giving my money to a syndicator, my money should basically just be going to make that asset better. 
nothing else. You shouldn't take my money and hold it to me interest-free, which benefits you because you get more investors and then you can dole out return. So it's no loss to you, but to the investors, it's a real loss. You're not getting anything for that money. It's sitting in a bank account and then they're handing it out to you. When I view it, investors' money should be working. It should be going to invest in the property and to create cash flow and revenues. I would much rather have that. And so every dollar that I am investing is being used to create wealth and income as opposed to getting a nice fancy 7% preferred return, right? Um, even if the property doesn't justify it. And I start seeing these games in companies and I start seeing these things um, across the board. And, you know, we did not we did not grow in this fashion. We didn't, that's not what made us. And this is all new to, to me. And as I talked to investors and things as we went around, I realized not only how different we were, not only on performance level, but how we view and work with investors. Um, I had one investor that told me that it would be more beneficial and I would be a better syndicator if I lowered my fees by 2% and instead I took 50% of the equity um, and that would be better for investors. So I thought about that for a minute and I thought, okay, so let's take our properties that we have now, that 2% fee uh, spread that they think should be gotten rid of and I should take 50% of the equity instead of giving uh, 80% to, or 70% to investors I should only give them 50% and I should lower that 2%. So once again, I'm lowering 20% equity. So I'm getting, giving, taking away 20% equity from the investors. And then instead, I'm not going to charge a 2% fee. And a lot of people actually believe this. This was shocking to me. And I asked, first of all, why? I don't get that at all. Um, because when I'd done that in the past, um, I viewed that as, wow, I should get equity after I perform. Um, but let me stick with this for an example. One of the things we do in many of our companies is we have wholesaling companies, right? We're out buying deals. That 30% spread on deals that we have that we've secured off market, meaning we're not using brokers, we're getting them vastly undervalue. So that. Um, excuse me, not 30, but that 20% in equity that I'm take would be taking to the, from the investors is $6 million. Just that spread $6 million. The 2% fee is $200,000. So they're arguing that it's better for the investors if they don't pay 200,000 and instead you give up the 200,000 and you take 6 million in the equity. Now, let me make this very clear. I'm a hundred percent okay with that. <laughs> um, in fact, it sh frankly blew my mind that people thought that way. And that's when I realized when we started digging even further, they view it on a contract basis. They don't care about the asset really. And I viewed it like, why would I, of course I want that equity. In fact, we have a waterfall that, you know, we include in lots of things that we do and many syndications with changes with deals because every deal is different, but it generally speaking, after we've given hundred percent of the money and 20% return back to the investors, then we believe we can take more of that 50% because I earned it right. Um, at that point, but upfront, 
you know, it's, I'm like sitting here going, why would I do that? And then what I found out most people do they're in our position, which once again, blows my mind. And this is standard practice from everyone from Grant Cardone down under what they do is the assets that they get off market. They're giving to their investors, essentially selling that to their investors as if it was on market. That means the investors are getting the product after they've secured it off market they're getting that product then and the person the me let's say on this deal i'll give them 50 percent equity of that deal but i sold it to them at the higher price meaning that six million dollars that was embedded equity i pocket that then i take 50 percent of the equity and i lower my fees well once again i am happy to play these games i'm happy to take the six million dollars instead of the two hundred thousand um and this is a whole new world for me. And I, I think it's bonkers, legitimately bonkers. Like, why would somebody be trading instant millions in equity for something as stupid as, you know, 200,000 or whatever these may be? And that's when I found out more and more that people don't view the asset. They're not looking at that. All they're looking at is the contract. They don't really understand it. They don't really get the asset. So whether I sell it to the investors and I pocket that $6 million of instant equity that I now get from selling to them immediately, the only thing that I did was put it under contract and then sell it to the investors like other ones do, or I take their money, then dole it out on a preferred return, right? And this is what I say when we are very different because most people view the investors as the asset. Now, if we change that in our fund and started doing more of these things, y'all, I'm not going to be making very many podcasts because I'm going to be on a yacht. Um, it kind of blew my mind how much money that, frankly, we were leaving on the table. Um, it was shocking. Not to mention that our management fees are half of what market is. So I thought a lot about this and I thought about why is this? And this is what it comes down to. The reason is, is because our assets, our companies that we own, we paid for and bought in our cash flow. What that means is our management company, everything else that we're doing, our core assets that have no investors have so much cash flow, they pay all the bills. So we're able to do what we view as investors as just equity partners. They're partners, right? And we want the asset to perform. So we're not drowning the asset or our equity because of these games that we're playing. That doesn't make sense to us because we are with our investors as partners, which we take on all the risk. So we, you know, we take on the risk that we're on the loan debts, everything else like that. So we view it as equity partners. Now, I think one of the things is I think most operators and syndicators, people like that, they can't do that. So they literally don't even have the ability to. So they're taking all of that and they don't have the ability to pay out the preferred returns or they know they can't get investors if they don't. So they're taking it. So the games are out of more necessity than anything, which that I understand. And frankly, when we look at it that way, I don't actually have too much of a problem with it because if you're a syndicate or an operator, especially if you're getting started, you need to do what you need to do. Once again, the only reason we're in our position is because for 15 years, we invested everything we had back into our companies. Um, it's kind of crazy how much we just invested, including outside companies, tech stack that didn't ever have a direct ROI to us, but we knew that it would have an ROI on the property level. Now this put us as, you know, top 70 
operators in the world, as well as um, it makes our assets perform really, really well. And But I also understand that that's not how things are. That's not how most people are. I get that. I guess what I don't get is the people that don't need to do that and are simply all they're doing is they're moving investors money around and they're pocketing all the spreads that they can get. And what they do is they lower either fees or different things like that to make the investors feel good and justify it why they're taking the lion's shares of the profit. Essentially what they're doing when they move off market deals to the investors is they're pocketing all profit that that was going to get for a long time. And you see it, you see it in their returns, like Grant Cardone and others that the investors are the asset. So first thing that I want to talk about in this is the understanding of, are you investing in an asset or are you the asset? And that's really important to know. Now, there was a part of me that thought immediately, I'm stupid and I should just be pocketing these millions that we're essentially handing over in free equity to investors. And that's exactly what we're doing. Um, but I also viewed it as I'm handing it over in me, to me as well, because I'm an equity participant. But that was a real quick flash and deterred immediately because I know that it's not what you say. It's not structure or anything else like that. It's what happens. It's what produces. So I know that our investments will outproduce and outperform others. And that is what we really care about. And we care about the fundamental asset, the track record we have, and not obliterating that for short-term gains. Um, and that's how we built our business. We built our business off a cash flow basis, right? It's even one of those things that, you know, investors will hold off distributions if we have open-ended contracts. Meaning, let's say we were doing a remodel on a building and in that building, we have contracts that are open. We haven't gotten final bids in, so we're not exactly sure what the costs are. Well, we'll hold off distributions because we don't want to be wrong and we don't want to do callbacks from investors or anything because we don't want to affect the cash flow. Once we have hard bids, once we actually know what we're doing um, from there, then we say, okay, now we, we understand and we understand exactly where that cash flow is and put out. Maybe we're too conservative. You know, maybe we are. Um, I know we're conservative in our underwriting. We do not show actual numbers because that would be crazy. Uh, I know we're conservative in the way that we act and buy. We're conservative in our fees. Uh, our, you know, I was, I can't tell you how many times I was told even in the last week, your fees are just too low. They're like, how do you pay bills? Because we're half of what a lot of the industry is on property management, things like that. Um, which that may have to change. Literally, we've been writing off the laurels of our other business, meaning our other business pays the bills. So we've been able to do that. Um, maybe we are, maybe we're not in line, maybe it's wrong. But it also then for me, the problem is it just affects the underlying assets performance, which that's what we care about. And that's what we think about. Okay. So now that you understand our mentality, how we go around, I want to talk about other businesses and some of the cash flow issues and predicaments that they get in. So often people get away from these fundamentals. They're looking at the short-term wins. They're looking at the promises or the hypes and business owners will get so focused on this that they substantially 
dis, um, how do I say this right? They aren't looking at fundamental cash flows and they are believing they're having growth that they're not really having due to a lot of factors. This may be um, sales. This may be one-time fees. This may be debt. This may be um, quarterly um, um, quarterly discounts on expense ratios or something like that, right? There's so many reasons why. And investors provide a lot of people a mask to cover up what is really happening. Meaning they get confused and they're not running a good shop or profitable, but because they have investor money, it's always covering up the reality of what's going on behind. I know in my business alone, huge storage operators that are basically running negative. And unless they get the upfront fees of new deals, they can't pay the bills. So what does that mean? It doesn't matter if the deal's a good deal or not, they're doing it because if not, they're bankrupt. And this is kind of the norm. Once again, I never knew this or understood this. This is all new to me, but they have to do it to survive. So they'll buy deals. And then two, the size of the deal matters. Meaning the bigger the deals we do, the more upfront money we can take in and fees. So then they start doing bigger deals at any cost. The performance starts to matter very little because of the short-term wins and the needs of the cash flow of the business. Um, this is scary. And I often wonder why investors don't look at the owners, the operator, and the operations that they have and say, how is this funded? You know, like, how is this working? Is this sustainable? Um, where is the benefit coming from? And are you a profitable operation? Or are we going to get down the line? And if revenues dip, you're laying off staff and you're doing things that you need to be doing to make sure that asset performs. And then the asset's going to start performing. And we see this, it becomes a downward spiral in operations. And then the assets suffer. So they suffer more, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's a big problem. The bottom line is people stop looking at it, both investors and operators and business owners from an actual basics of cash flow, margin, fundamentals, and they start looking through it and growth. The end justifies the mean. And we're seeing this a lot in our industry. So a lot of people will buy properties that are either, either super expensive or things, and it doesn't matter because we're going to package them all together and get a portfolio value. And that makes it all worth it. Well, essentially to me, that means you're asking for a bailout. So you're going to run negative. You're going to run at all these disadvantages and you're going to struggle. And the only reason that it'll work out is because somebody's going to pay you a lower cap rate because you have more properties together. Now, if the markets change on you, interest rates rise or something happens, which it always does, and nobody will give you that lower price, you're in big trouble. So this is the greater fool mentality. And in commercial real estate, that is super hot right now. Meaning, People justify, and you can see it in the numbers, people justify the sale of a property. People justify the um, what they're doing by the sell. And you can see it in their underwriting. Where did you get your internal rate of return from that everybody shows, which is so 
easily manipulated, it drives me nuts. We, you know, for us, we focus on cash on cash return um, and cumulative cash on cash return of the investment and when the investors are getting all their money back and how are then staying in the deal. So we're trying to look at fundamentals here, but most people go off things like IRRs. The reason being is when they buy a property and then they sell it in four years at a lower cap rate, and all of a sudden they have all this money that is made, then their internal rate of return looks really, really good, even if they made basically no cash flow to that point. But they're still giving dis, uh, disbursements to investors because they took the investor's money and made it able to. So if that sell, though, doesn't happen, then they're in big trouble. I can't, like, this is, to me, that is terrifying. Um, the property, to me, has to be good now. It has to be, it has to be great now. It has to be amazing in the future, but it can't be dependent. If it being great or amazing can't be dependent on a sell to somebody that wants to buy it at a much higher price than we paid. That's why all our investments are structured as we get the investor's money back on like a three to five year, right? Through either refinance or something else, but we don't ever sell it. We hold it forever. And those investors are in our deals forever. So those investors are in our deals forever, um, getting equity, getting wealth and income. And there's not a big liquidation event like a sale that has to justify all the numbers. So you can see right now when we're at the top of a market, this financial wizardry that's going on. Well, now let's take it back to the first and my company I was talking about. There is a company that was running off of short-term revenues, expense ratios. Um, and when those short-term revenues, which made everything look really, really good, the accounting department got things mixed up. They didn't quite understand it. And at the end of the day, what was really happening is they were running negative every single month. Okay. They didn't understand this till it was too late. The company, which overall was an amazing company, company that I work with. It's not in storage or anything, by the way, but it's a company that we work with that does a lot of other things. And their on the ground work and services that they provide and everything was amazing. The problem was the cash flow issues, not understanding the fundamentals and focusing on the other things. So the, the product, the service, everything the company was doing was awesome. It's great. They had good organic growth, um, but they screwed up on the internal side and dug themselves a hole and didn't realize it till the hole was too big. Well, this came to uh, a very big head and a very big problem. And they came to us and they came in saying, we need a loan. Um, first of all, like we tell everybody, we're not a bank. So alone, no. Um, but it came down to the point where it's, if we don't have a loan, we will not be in business by the end of the week because our expenses from other large companies are calling it due by Friday. We'll be out of business on Friday. Um, now I'm not ever going to say the names of this company, anything that nobody will ever know. We're not going to ever talk about it um, because the company is a great company. We love them. 
and we use them for our services and we've recommended services to a lot of other companies. Um, they're on the ground work. Everything they do is, is phenomenal. Um, so this was a stupid mistake. And it was a mistake that was made by getting away from the fundamentals. So in turn, what we said is, all right, we'll give you a loan so you can survive. Um, but that loan is attached to equity, meaning once that loan, we give you that loan. And then that gives us a month to go through all the records, all the books, everything else. And upon which we get to exercise our option that you're bound to give us to buy 50 percent and a control the controlling interest in, in the company essentially meaning we get the company and that loan would be paid back to us and then we would give a, another amount of money to fill in the rest of the hole um upon which we take over the that large portion of the company um and we'd be partners with them which they were also excited about because we understand their business we know them they know us um, and it's, uh, we believe in them, right. And we believe in their product and service and everything they're doing. And I look at this and think, you know, first of all, yes, I can't talk about this with un out understanding that this is a, a great opportunity for us. I, yeah, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Um, but I also look at it when I say, how do we get in a position and I hear this all the time where people are like, you know, man, you're just so lucky. It's like you have opportunities to just fall into your lap. And first of all, that's not really true at all. But the reason why is we stick just to the basics. We stick to the fundamentals. We stick to cash flow. That doesn't mean we don't get in trouble, meaning it doesn't mean we have don't have money issues or anything else like that as you're trying to expand and grow everything. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, but we just stick to the fundamentals so we don't get into ever big trouble or we're not ever dependent on outside source to make it work. Um, and because of that, that puts us in a position where we're able to take advantage of things like inefficiencies in the marketplace. We're able to take advantage of building out um, a, a complete off-market deal portion of our business. So we are finding deals and getting them under contract that have instant equity and instant massive improvement in their income. Um, and it really comes, once again, we're talking about fundamental business practices. Uh, and right now, as this always happens when we get to the tops of markets, um, those are lacking. And it's interesting to me that we see it lacking from everyone, from the businesses to the operators, um, but we're also seeing it lacking in complete industries. Um, there's been so many people in you know, self-storage as well as other assets that have sold their assets at a such a much higher amount than they'd bought previously three years ago that it puts them in a position to where they're just like, holy cow, this is the best thing ever. And I didn't even know what I was really doing. Um, and we can make a ton of money on this. Um, the problem is though, they're getting fooled by an event rather than understanding a process and event driven investing is very scary because essentially you're gambling 
It is not something we ever built our companies off of. When we first started out, you have to understand that most of the assets, we didn't view we could sell them. There was no real interest in storage, nor the markets that we were in. The only thing that mattered was cash flow. We didn't ever, and we never had a, a, a plan when it was like, well, we'll just sell these and make our money back, and that's where we're going to get our profit, because we didn't even view that that market existed. We didn't view that there was going to be a compression in cap rates. So our entire company was never built on any of those things. And um, that's played well for us. Um, it forced, it, it, like the markets, and I talked about this in the, that Twitter thread where it was what the markets did is they forced us to build out and do things that um, we probably never would have done. There was no operating company. There was no all of these other advantages. And uh, because of that, you know, I look at it and I think, we had to go through the suffering and the pain, but it really set us in the right mindset, in the right place, and it allowed us to build it out right. Now, what's that mean for you? What's that mean for your future and everything else? Now, first of all, let me get this very, very straight. If you're syndicating deals, you charge fees to pay for operations, things like that. Your business is the business. You're the operator. You need to run. So you need to make sure your business works and you need to make sure the deal is in line with you and your investors. And you need to be very open with your investors and others about the pros, cons of these deals. And you need to be really good at sharing your strategy and um, focus on fundamentals with investors, okay? And make sure they understand your plan and what you're doing. So uh, this is a great opportunity for a lot of people right now because there's a lot of advantages that you didn't have when we started. First of all, the, how the internet has changed things from property management to everything else is, is crazy across all industries and the opportunities associated with that. Um, but also, everybody is really full right now of money. Lots of people have capital. So there's a lot of investors out there and banks are willing to loan. So that means that you can get into the game way easier than we could have. And a lot of people like to say, like, oh, yeah, well, if I was getting into storage when you did, right, it would be great or it was way easier. And that always is funny to me because it's like, yes, I, I essentially we got better deals, right, because they were higher cap rates and things like that. But we didn't get any of those other things. Financing sucked. Like banks didn't want to loan to our assets. There were no investors and there was nobody there. The institutions weren't playing, so we couldn't sell it at a lower cap rate. So we didn't even get that. We didn't get any of the technology because there wasn't any. It was all done very manually. So you look at it and you say it's always easy to compare. Okay. So it's always easy to compare one end or the other. But when I look at it, it's easier today to start than it's ever been right? You have investors that want to be in this asset class as well as other asset classes and businesses. Like people want in, they have the money to get in. So if you have a good sound idea and investing thesis and philosophy, it's way easier today to get people to go along and to find people that will invest in you than it ever was. Now, uh, you also have banks, you have SBA loans, you have good financing, right? 
Um, and you have opportunities. The economy's growing. Revenues are growing. And two, inflation and a lot of the growth has made a disparity in the performance of assets, and they just haven't caught up to today. This is a massive advantage. The Great Recession left huge holes of opportunities because things, everything from apartments to industrial, everything wasn't being built, and now there's a huge lack, which means there's fundamental sound demand in these asset types. Um, and that's the same with a lot of even businesses that have propped up and they're, they're fundamentals are sound good. They're riding on trends. They have great cash flow. Um, There's just way more opportunity. And it's to another thing that a lot of people say is, yeah, you got better deals. Yeah. But nobody sold deals when we were doing it. Like it was way harder to find deals. We didn't get to see any deals. I mean, you're talking about when we got started, we would see maybe a few deals like in six months, you just couldn't find anybody that would even sell to you. So there was no opportunity. So our growth was really slow because it had to be a good deal, right? But it it, it also, we just didn't get to see many. Today, holy cow, the amount of sellers and the amount of opportunities that we see is incredible. So you're gonna have to do a lot more work, right? To get understand which ones are the good deals or not, but you ha- you have the ability to do the work. And that is a massive change. You have third-party management. You have other companies that can allow you to do all of this stuff that we didn't have. Now, you can just contract out with today and get started. So times have changed. Opportunities have changed. But it's still out there like crazy. The other thing that, um, uh, the thing that you need to look out for in today's age is you need to look out for the disparity and the, um, separation of fundamentals and things that are purely like I like to say, I know the market can kill me, but I don't, uh, but I don't expect the market to make me. And meaning the amount of people that are looking for a bailout or the amount of things that you look at, if this doesn't go perfect, it doesn't go at all. If that's the case, you shouldn't be doing it. So you got to do a lot more work to find good deals, but they're out there, right? I mean, they're, they're out there and you have the ability to take advantage of them in ways that we never did. Uh, you know, our cash flow increasing our tenants rates, everything was much slower due to the fact because we didn't have technology or the ability of third party management and everything to really turn those assets around. It took us way longer. We had to get better. Today, you can find people that can help you immediately day one. There was no information. There was no social media. There was no podcast like this when we got started. It was slow. It was hard. We didn't figure it out. Um, our first deals weren't even great. There's unlimited amount of information right now. Um, it's crazy that we never had. Um, so your opportunity to get started today is a million times better than it ever was. And what took us forever to do, and we had all the problems that we had to do where we had to work, we had to invest our money from our businesses. We had to do everything. And it just took everything we had. You don't have today. You can get investors, you can get banks, you can get deals and you can go out and get it done. You don't need money like you did back then. And you don't need to work for free for years. If you can find deals, you can take fees, you can get investors and banks in it, and you can have a great asset with great fundamentals, and you can get paid to do what you love. That is such a big change. And the people that are taking advantage of it right are killing it, right? 
you just got to be careful for the mask of markets that go up and it masks and covers up the separation of fundamentals. That's where you get in trouble. As long as you can remember that, everybody, you're going to kill it. And there's more opportunity than there's ever been today. All right, everybody. I hope this was helpful. Have a great week and we'll talk to you soon.